Hello and welcome to this edition of Franchise Radio Show. Today I'm very fortunate to be interviewing Elizabeth Gillam. Elizabeth is a woman with tremendous experience and a lot to offer. This particular um, interview today is called High Performance Franchisees. How to help your franchisees achieve optimum performance, and this is what Elizabeth does. Um, and the reason is she's owned and operated three franchise groups over several years at Boost Juice, Healthy Habits, and a Bucking Bull. So she knows what it takes to really operate a profitable food business. Elizabeth is a multi-award winning businesswoman. She's an author, a sought-after speaker, and a mentor. And uh, she just loves doing what she does, showing other franchisees how to do what she's done. She recently um, released a book called Upsize Your Profit, The Six Steps to Running a Profitable Food Franchise. And in that, she runs through what she calls um, her ACE process with franchisees. That's how to analyze their business for a franchisee, how to customize their business processes and procedures and produce a productive team and how to enforce these systems so you can be assured of developing a successful business, building profit, and the big outcome that Elizabeth looks for is freeing up people's time and having a team that are really committed to what they want to do. Um, but her knowledge doesn't just come from her experience. She's gone far beyond that because she spent many years presenting her knowledge and skills to a whole range of business people. Um, she's very personable, as you'll discover in a moment, and she uses those skill sets to uh, help people really improve their own leadership styles and skills and their business. Um, but um, but uh, Elizabeth stresses that uh, it's not all about work and, pre um, and without pleasure. She, <laughs> she practices what she preaches, and she enjoys life by her momentum, which is uh, everything beginning with a C, basically. It's C for champagne, cheese, chocolate, and coffee. So and she likes to indulge in all those in one day. So there's a woman with ambition who knows a bit about lifestyle. So, Elizabeth, welcome to our radio show this morning. Thank you for that warm introduction, Brian. Glad <laughs> to be here. Uh, thank you, and I do appreciate you taking the time out. I've spent some time um, pursuing Elizabeth to get a little bit of her valuable time because I do believe she's got a lot to share with everyone that's listening here. So I'd like to just start, really, with a few questions I've got here during our broad-ranging discussion we'll have. But um, something really is, what do you see as the most common problems that franchisees face? Look, Brian, you know... Universally across all franchisees, they uh, have the same three problems, and they're the three problems that I had when I was in my business, and particularly in the very beginning. And that is, there's um, no time, you have little money, and a clueless team. Time in that you feel that you're always at the business, and the business is running you. You don't have time to have a cup of coffee with your mum, or spend time with the kids, or go to the gym if that's the way you like to roll. Um, that's also followed up by um, uh, feeling that you, you're always you have no money. You're always robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like just when you get the bass out of the way, then the super guarantee's got to be paid. And just when you sort all that out, then all of a sudden there's a new piece of equipment that has to be purchased, and then the wages are due, and it just <laughs> goes on and on. And you're robbing Peter and paying Paul, and so cash flow is always problematic. And um, the last one is you. Um, if the team would just do as you want them to do, you know, that can be a very frustrating moment, like having a clueless team. But you know what, sometimes in that regard you, you are your own worst enemy in that you don't actually give the team clear guidance on what it is you want them to do for you. So, um, you know, I was always 
it becomes really easy to blame your team for everything, whereas, whereas if you take a proactive view, you teach your team uh, to meet certain KPIs, you have tools and, and the processes in the store that, that they, like checklists basically, that they tick off and at the end of the day they meet the KPIs that you want to meet or you teach them how to do that and uh, in, before you know where you are, you've got a team of little mini-means who are doing just as you would do if you so uh, that helps you no end. But um, yeah, having, having a team that's there with you is probably the most common problem. Look, that's, our audience here is uh, is predominantly um, almost exclusively franchisors, existing and new ones, and uh, the reason I'm talking to you is because I think you can help them help their franchisees. So we're talking about a whole range of different people. We're, we're looking at people who are just setting up their, their franchise, so new franchisees starting. We've got existing franchisees are already underway. Um, and then people, you know, franchisees have different objectives, don't they? How do you sort of uh, begin by addressing that to be able to pinpoint the, 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 the programs and the, the help you can give people? Oh, certainly um, the, the easiest way is to uh, get that franchisee right at the most vulnerable time, which is when they're opening their business. I've yet to sit in on a franchise store opening that, that hasn't got stresses involved, you know. <laughs> Half the stock hasn't turned up. You've got to pr produce a. Yeah, for example, your, your passion fruit hasn't turned up. So that what that half of them out of the menu. You know, um, things like you've got, particularly if it's a brand new store, you've got all new staff that haven't trained. So you know, when you look at opening a particularly a food store, it's fraught with danger. I mean, you've got brand new people learning a brand new method in a brand new store with brand new equipment. I mean. If that's not a recipe for disaster, I don't know what is. So that it's at that point that a, fran a franchisee, regardless of how good they are, can go into blame mode and, and can turn sour. So certainly uh, I like to be involved, if at all possible, right from the very beginning. And the franchisor is very good at providing operations people. That's what they do. That's what the people have bought into it. They've bought into a system. But there are also certain skills that it's assumed that the franchisee and they may not have them. Just simple things like staff management, how to be an employer, that's one big one there where we have a lot of problems with franchisees. And the other one is how to manage your credit systems, like your invoicing. And it's really important that that's done well, first because you want your invoices paid on time, because if you go on stock supply and you've got no product coming in, well then you can't actually produce any product of your own to sell to customers, so it's very paramount that you have your creditors under control. Yeah, I can appreciate that, and I, I'm, when I'm listening to you there, I'm sort of thinking across the spectrum of different types of franchise groups and so forth, whilst you focus on food, the principles apply um, to some minor adjustments in whatever type of business you've got, don't they? Absolutely, like I say, I work predominantly with food, but I, but I have worked with many franchise uh, franchise groups and you know at the end of the day what they're selling might be different but particularly when you get into that back of house management you know that that admin office at the back hmm. regardless of the size or where it is it will be the same problems every time it's um, employee compliance like Australia have a, a lot of guidelines that you've got to comply, comply with being in as they should I mean you just don't you, there's rules and regulations by and, and truly that's the first time you've uh, employed someone. Some of those rules are really mind-boggling. And how do you put systems in place to make sure 
that you're complying with all of those. So I suppose we're starting off on the assumption the franchisor, as you said a little earlier, is doing that job properly, that they've got the support systems in place, and uh, where they don't, they're learning from their experience of honing those. So from the point of view <coughs> of where you come into the picture, um, where, where do you start when you when you've got a client you're working with, with a, a franchisee, for example, what's your kicking off point to start assessing what they're, what they're achieving and what you can do to help them? Sure. So, um, basically, it's keep, keep, it's KPIs. I run by that all along. If you're working, um, particularly in food, start to monitor those is from your roster. Because it's one, once, once the, staff have uh, been employed and the expense has been incurred, you can't do much about it. So you start at the beginning in the planning stage. So ideally I like to actually do due diligence with my franchisees even before they buy into the system, but that's not always the case. So if you get a franchisee who's in and operating, you have a look at the business and their uh, profit and loss to start with and actually get the actual KPIs that they are achieving at the time. So their actual average transaction value their actual labour percentage, their actual hourly rate, their productivity is a big one. And that's basically for every hour you have that employee on the floor, how many sales are you generating? So, you know, ideally you'd want for every, you'd want to run at about that 70 to $170 to $100 in sales, you want one hour of employee's time. And that, you know, at the end of the day it gets to a, a productivity where you're making money at the end of the day. So the ideal way to start with that is do rostering. Just a simple Excel spreadsheet where you cost out your employees, uh, how much it's going to cost you to have employees on for each day. Put in a budgeted sales. You, you know, you don't always know, particularly in the opening scenario, what sales are going to be. But once you've been operating for a little while, you can make a pretty damned educated guess as to what your day sales are going to be. So just set yourself up right in the beginning, even before you open your front doors, to have a budgeted sales figure you want to meet for the day, and then you have your estimated cost of labour. Then it's just a matter of operational expertise to keep your cogs under underway. Because really, particularly in food, there's the two areas where they break out. is your, your cost of goods sold, your cogs are out of control, and your labour is out of control. Once you've got those two things under control, then it's a matter of building the sales and the profit will run from there. Yeah, so it's a, that common denominator of the service you're providing or the product, whatever it might be, and the amount of time and labour and so forth it takes per unit. So, um, so yeah. when you're looking at that and you're analysing those particular KPIs or refining them, depends on how, how well established the franchise group is, obviously, and the history that they've got, and I'm thinking here more with regards to young franchise groups. You know, they're in the in the early stages, their first two or three franchisees, which is when they've got the opportunity to perhaps start to lay down some good foundations on these. So if you look at those KPIs, how, where do you start from the point of view looking at increasing their, their turnover and just getting their, their figures improved and so on? One of the first things I do each and every time is have a look at their average transaction value mm. and look at the strategies and selling techniques that they've got in place. Uh, and that, that is literally in the very first appointment I have each and every time, unless they are an absolute brand new franchisee in opening mode. But if they've been operational for, say, 12 weeks from then on in, first thing we look at is the average transaction value. I've been able to just implement strategies and my 
best result increase has been a 52% increase and my worst result is an increase of 10% in the average transaction value, which just has nowhere to go but to roll on to the turnover and increases your turnover by 10% and there's not anyone in the world that I know who wouldn't want a 10% increase in their turnover. So it's just simple strategies you use in uh, training your staff, basically. So you, you're focusing on, on, on basically looking at the business as it is and, and tuning it in the same way as uh, if you're in a Formula One racing team, the car comes in the pit, it's done a few laps, and you're saying, right, let's look at some of the key issues, some of the, some of the factors and so forth, and let's tune a bit of this and tune a bit of that, adjust here, adjust here, measure the results. Is that the sort of, that's the sort of approach you're making, really? That's why I call it the ACE process. So the first first process is analysing the, the business. So let's have a look at your P&L and let's look at what you're really doing, not what you think you're doing, what you're really doing. Let's get the figures and find out what that is. The next is to analyse the team. And the first thing we look at is the individual ATVs of each staff member because sometimes you think the brightest, chirpiest button on your um, uh, person on your staff is, oh, I know they upsell brilliantly, but when you actually start comparing what they do on a daily basis, you see that perhaps that person isn't upselling like you think they are. Or if they are, they're not doing it successfully. There's, there's two things, like, for example, the, the word I hate the most when training, training staff, or even as a customer when I hear it, when they say, anything else? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and being an Australian, we say it like that too, we go, anything else? Well, <laughs> That is just so easy for the customer to go, nope, nothing else. <laughs> and so that's not a successful strategy. I always look for my, look for three, three only upsells that we train the staff. Sometimes you give this, the staff so many options with upsell, they're that confused they end up not doing it, which is the other side you don't want. So make it really simple for them. Even if you just choose one upsell, one week and just see how they go and that gets them in the habit of saying and I, I refer to this in my book all the time is the one dollar water so I was determined that my franchise all and this is in my boost and they love t telling this story because they love knowing they were right and, um, <laughs> it was a one dollar water in a boost juice store so as you know if you're at a boost juice store you're already buying a drink so I just went how ridiculous that people would want water on top of the fact that they're buying a drink this is just ridiculous to work. So home from conference I came and I was determined to prove them wrong and, and so I decided to um, offer a dollar bottle of water with, at every customer that walked past the door. So as they came in and would you like a dollar bottle of water of that and would you know they're all saying yes. <laughs> it's like okay rightio. I had four boxes of water chilled, the rest were warm. Um, so what do you do? Well, what I, luckily I also had two other businesses in the shopping centre which housed the same type of water. So I basically put my hot boxes in their cold room and pinched their cold water. And that day we ended up, uh, we sold all four boxes plus more. So, uh, but, and my ATV jumped. But what it showed me was that by having a real designated upsell that was profitable to me, that's the other thing you've got to bear in mind. Um, you, a lot of franchisors come out with an upsell, but when you look into it, it's actually costing the franchisee to offer that upsell. Mm. So it's got to be enough profitable and worth it for the franchisee to offer. And at the time, for me, that was that $1 bottle of water because I had, I had my purchase price, I took off my royalty fees, um, and then I still was making money for every bottle of water I sold.
And gave you a lot of satisfaction and confidence, no doubt, and your, and your, and your staff, your team in the, uh, in, the, in the shop there. Well, I also offered, which I probably didn't say there before, is I offered a little uh, incentive at the end of the day for those that had sold the most water. They got a, they got a $20 phone credit or a movie ticket. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was $20, $20 I had to outlay on that. But we ended up selling, well, there's 24 bottles of water in a box and we sold oh, about five or six boxes from memory. So my $20 well and truly paid for itself. So... Mm. It, it created that team that they were wanting to sell it. Uh, plus, the customer was receiving a value because if you buy any of those bottles of water, they're two fifty to three dollars anywhere else in the food court. So it was something of value to the customer. That's important, and it was very easy to do. It didn't put any extra labour cost on us. It was something we had sitting right there that we offered right at the point of sale. So it was a quick and easy thing to do. So. And that's what I like, Elizabeth, about what you do is that you've got so many little tweaks and tuning aspects that uh, you bring in with your experience that many franchisors can utilise. And whilst most most groups have got their own, um, you know, upsells and, and processes and so forth, it's coming in with a fresh pair of eyes and saying, hey, you could do this, you could do that, you could do this, and that just lifts the whole, uh, the whole, the whole performance across the board, doesn't it? Yeah, well, at the end of the day, it's all about the relationship between the franchisee and the franchisor, and if both feel that they're in a winning situation, well, it's just a loving fest with everybody and everyone's succeeding. So, And that's the relationship that you want to achieve at the end of the day. So I was a happy duck in that I was uh, getting more turnover. The franchisor then is automatically happy because more franchise, uh, more turnover means more royalties for him. Um, so what they had done is they'd sort of sourced something that could be a, a really achievable upsell, to upsell with every every sale. Um, but because you've had that experience in one group, the, the strategy at the back is the same. You, you're dead right, Brian, and it can, and can be um, implemented across many franchise groups. And at the end of the day, it's just basic retail. So um, coming in and not having worked with that franchise group before, it's very easy to suggest and implement strategies that I see an instant success rate. So I can see why your your reputation is actually coming in and adding value with what you do, because it's very s simple to see that adding those few, you know, those few tweaks and using those case studies and experiences you've got, finding ways to increase that turnover, you know, it r hits everybody's bottom line. And uh, the first person you really want happy is your franchisee, and it sort of flows on from there, doesn't it? That's right. So just in a marriage, it's happy wife, happy life. You know, in a, in a franchise situation, it's happy, happy Z, happy life. So, you know, um, if, the, if your franchisees are happy, well, they're not ringing. You haven't got that um, negative culture in your franchise group. Um, very, As a franchisor, you're in a very good situation if you're the one that's having to ring your franchisee to see how things are going in the field because... If you're running a bad uh, franchise group, they're always on the phone to you and they're always harping down your ear. So you know you're doing something right if you're franchisees, if you're having to ring them to see how it's going, not the other way around. Because trust me, if you're ever in that situation when things aren't working, there's nothing worse than a cranky franchisee down that phone. Because I've mm. been one, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like. So, so I know that one of your passions is saying, okay, it's all very well up upping the average transaction values and so on and so forth, get these KPIs going, but you like to dig further, so you, you, like, you like to dig into the, into the figures. 
Well, Brian, when it comes to the P&L and analysing your P&L, um, actually, it's something that really excites me. Um, my clients, I get this real look of excitement over my um, face when I get to look, get to go down and dirty in a P&L. So, but to me, a, a profit and loss really gives you the true understanding of where your business currently is, not where you think it is, or not where anyone else thinks it is, but where it actually is. Because you've got all the real data of your invoices coming in, plus all your real data of your uh, sales and so forth. So, really, the P&L gets to the very bottom line, which is your, which is your profit. So um, to me, we the first thing I do is turn all figures into percentage figures of the actual turnover. So for example, you'll get a percentage of your cost of goods and a percentage of your labour, and that to me is very, very important. Then we start working on percentages. We work out what our current labour percent really is and what our current cost of goods really is. Uh, and then we improve those KPIs. We claim them as a key performance indicator, a KPI, and we move on improving that because really uh, every improvement you make in your cost of goods and every improvement you make in your labour has only one place to go, and that's straight to your bottom line. And we're all in business to uh, make money. We're not uh, we're not here for, for fun. We're not Santa Claus. It's uh, we're here for to make money. So. Um, and in franchising, more than any before, you have a shorter term to make that money because you're governed by things like franchise agreements and and leases and uh, licences to operate, etc. Okay, all right, excellent. So I like the down and dirty, anyway. But the fact <laughs> is that 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 is the blunt truth, isn't it? And uh, it's it's often not what you'd like it to be. So you've got to face the facts, and that, that's so that's where you come in, really. You, it's really um, quite surprising, you know. People will will start quoting off figures of where they are and whatever, and and when you actually print out that profit and loss report, it quite often shows a very different picture. Hmm. Mm. So it's the old in denial. So you spoke earlier um, when we're talking, you know, with regards to KPIs and getting these micro sort of improvements, you know, a percentage or a percent, a fraction of a percent, and so forth, makes a difference here and there. And, and and what I like about what you do is that, as you said at the beginning, that you like to set this mentoring process up ideally before they even launch their business as franchisees. So we talked about the franchisees. Now, what about when it comes to the rest of the franchisees' team, um, if they're more than just a one-man operation? Well, quite often um, a franchisee can't do everything, and, and the quicker we realise that, the better we are. So... Once you've gone through your profit and loss and you've established what your key performance indicators are, it's really important that you implement a leadership team within your business so that your business runs as well with you in it as when you're on your days off because you seriously cannot be there the whole time. So there's a couple of strategies we use and one of them is um, implementing an in-store booklet. Now, most franchisors already require you to, to complete an in-store booklet basically for food safety requirements, you know, things like temperature logs and, and delivery logs and all those sorts of things are, are already there being filled out daily. I like to incorporate a KPI dashboard into that, um, which, will, which will incorporate the whole process from when you've decided what your KPIs are that you want to hit to make the profit that you would like. We need to start sharing them because unless you share them, your team have nothing to aim for. So quite often I say, oh, my team are clueless and they, 
don't know what they're doing and I have to be there all the time. Well, sometimes they're clueless because we don't actually share what we want them to do. We teach them how to make the smoothie or to make the sandwich or to make the product that we're selling. And that's all we do. We, we don't then explain why the budget is how the, uh, sorry, the roster, the budgeting, the forecasted sales and so forth on the roster, why they're there and what it means. So if you have a leadership team that gets to meet those KPIs, I find that builds excitement within the store. Mm. You follow that up then by having a regular weekly meeting with your leadership team or at the very least your store manager. And all of a sudden, the operation of the store becomes a team environment. Uh, and while you're not there, you're achieving the goals that you've set. So that, that's the secret. Now, I'm not saying that's easy by <laughs> any strength of the mind. You've got to get the right staff and um, you've got to set up the communication strategy. But can I tell you, I've had kids as low as uh, 14 and 15. Admittedly, one of them was my daughter. But once you started sharing those KPIs with them, it became a challenge and it became like a game that they were in on and they wanted to win all the time. So that can only be better for your business. So. Yeah, it's like Monopoly, isn't it? You know? oh, my is. grandchildren playing Monopoly yeah. at the age of five. My goodness, you can tell the ones who are going to keep the money in their pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And just as similarly, the older um, staff that I had, because we had, had three businesses, and um, our staffing teams in each of those businesses were very, very different. So we went from very, very young, um, like the first job from school, to we had a team that were consisted mainly of women in their 50s and over. And particularly when we had the management team there, they really responded well to meeting goals because they're in the time of their life, their work life, where they were still a mystery to them. And once we shared what we wanted to meet and, and the, how we were going to get there, and they came on board really, really quickly and well, and it, I think it aided staff retention to be quite frank. Yeah, look, I can, I can understand that. I mean, it comes down to, you know, how do you measure what you do? And it's the same for all of us in whatever we do in our business, which is why the KPIs are there, but how do you relate it in personal terms, and the one common denominator we've all got, staff, customers, franchisees, franchisors, whoever, is the dollar that we're creating. So I can appreciate that gives them an objective. So when you say, yeah, it sort of, it, it opens up that issue of they've got to they, they have pride. Just like you've got pride in scoring a hat-trick or winning the game, you measure a football game with goals. And, uh, yeah. And there's nothing better when um, they, it, it turned around, particularly because we worked in food, and, and food is hard to judge, and it can be the simplest thing that um, will, will cause a rush for stuff. So, for example, when I was new to retail, the Harry Potter movie came out. Oh, my goodness. We went from all of a sudden um, a certain sales level to quite a different sales level, level because every man and their dog had come in to see the Harry Potter movie and they all wanted our product to take uh, into the movie theatre with them. So we right. became very busy, so our staff <laughs> were very busy. But they knew they were busy and it was like a challenge to them that they won. And I would set them targets like if they, in that particular business, if they ever hit more than $100 sales per labour hour, yeah. that I would reward them with uh, a bag of chocolates. I'd go down to Darrell Lee. Sadly, they're no longer with us, but I'd go down to Darrell Lee, buy a, a packet of lollies each, and they'd get to share them. Um, my goodness, in the past, before I'd shared the, the targets and so forth with them, 
I'd walk in and they'd be really cranky because they'd been smashed and they were running really heavy. And now they would greet me with, you've got to go and buy us lollies. Really? Why? <laughs> so it actually changed the whole like, culture of the store to one of performance uh, away from one of complaints. So um, that was really healthy. It's what the first, the first, we start off as babies and the first thing we do is get a, get a, a teat shoved in our mouths. You know, a bottle, and then it becomes sweets. Be a good girl for an hour, and you can have a lolly. It's, you just say it's, it's part of the human psyche, so you tapped into that, really. Um, yeah, and, and look, and, and I'm, you know, that's all about incentivising staff. And sure. nine times out of ten, it, it does not need to be lots of money. It can be the simplest things to say. Look, I noticed you were doing a great job, and uh, so I always rewarded for. Great mystery shops and great store audits, which is something that any franchise system comes with, is you're always being audited by your franchisor and you're always subject to that mystery shop that comes along. So, mm. um, but they had to get the mystery shop, they had to get 100% because the mystery shop only ever asked them to do what was expected of them to do. Right. And uh, in the audits, they, we had to score a double A. So, they, you know, once, once you got that, uh, yes, you were rewarded. And, as I said, it was not necessarily a lot of money. I actually gave them whatever the percentage was. I gave to the store manager in dollars as well as the team. And they generally pooled that and went off and, I don't know, one time they went 10-pin bowling, one time they went rock climbing, and I didn't have to pay for the lot of it, but they put it in and I paid for part of it. So that was the money that they got for doing a good store audit. So sometimes it's as simple as saying, Thanks, that was a great job. That's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be money. You know, when I first started franchising, uh, in, it was back in the early 80s, we had my first experience hands-on of a mystery shopper, and we used to get them through our group of, you know, at that stage probably 15 to 20 retail outlets, and it was always excitement, and we were all on our toes because we were trying to guess we were in the retail bedding area, so trying to guess, was that a mystery shopper? Was that a mystery shopper? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there's no doubt about it, it sharpened you up from the point of view, yeah. just, just making sure you go through the process and you show them the benefits of this and that and, you know, and and do everything right um, in order to get those ticks. So there's no doubt it works. So tell me with that, um, you've obviously got quite a bit of experience in mystery shopping. Um, how do you apply, I mean, I'm only familiar with it when I think about hands-on experience, in retail, but how do you handle it in other areas? Can it be effective in other types of franchises? Uh, I've predominantly only worked in food, and it's very effective in food. Mm. I have become a mystery shopper. That is a very interesting experience, to do it from the other side. Mm. And I did that. I do it not for the money. I do it for the experience, to see what different franchise groups are asking for. And um, I don't think... A mystery shop is ever a bad thing. Even if you get a bad result on a mystery shop, to me, that highlights a training need in your business. Absolutely. So, to me, um, this is not always the case. You know, if I ever got a bad mystery shop, oh my goodness, was I upset. But I stopped doing that. Mm, yeah. um, once you become mature in the whole owning a franchise scheme of things, you realise that, that that was that person's perception at that moment. Yeah. So, perhaps... Uh, my training levels aren't full, or perhaps um, I'm running my productivity so high that the staff cannot do the job that's expected of them. Or it may well highlight that the staff member we've got is no good, but that's probably the very last uh, option. Nine times out of ten, it highlights a training need. Yeah. Look, and it's, effective tool, it's an effective tool just like your dashboard in your, 
in-store book that you're talking about because it touches people's pride. You know, Absolutely. we're the best. We came out best in the group, or you know, we got a double A or whatever. That's brilliant. Yes. Look, um, we could talk for ages. Um, we do touch a common sort of cause there, and it is interesting stuff. Uh, I know with our window cleaning, we did get the odd dummy customer to ring up and get their windows cleaned, and uh, that did yeah, did the job, you know. Um, so that sort of thing's easy to organise. So tell me, um, I know you've got some exciting things happening in your business um, with the evolution of it and so forth. Um, from the point of view of the listeners that are on the line here, listening today and in the future when the, the, they replay this radio show. Um, is there anything you'd like to um, to perhaps do if there's anything you can give, any way that you can give them access to them? I know you've got a website which is very straightforward, uh, but please share that with us now. Uh, I certainly have a website which is uh, www.franchiseesuccess.com.au because I've got the franchisee and I, I'm on the franchisee side at all times. <laughs> Um, but uh, on my site there you'll see a number of the products I do, but one is the recently published book, Upsize Your Profit. And so um, this is a book that basically outlines the method that I use when I go in and work with any franchisee. And it uh, outlines the simple strategies that I put in place. Now all the templates that I use in that book are available from my website as well, and you can download them right now um, in exchange for an email address. But uh, and, and that just helps you along the way of, of monitoring your business. Even the KPI dashboard that we just spoke about, that's certainly there on the website for uh, free download. Um, come early 2015, I will actually have my due diligence program, online due diligence program there, and that will help those people wanting to enter franchising. And by about March 2015, I'll have my workshops that you can actually download and implement in your store immediately. So one of those, for example, would be how to increase your ATV. So we've got uh, workbooks and uh, online um, webinars that I've done. If you download those, that will run you through a strategy that you can implement immediately in your store. Because the good thing, as I said about ATVs, is you don't have to attract anyone more to your store. The ones that are already coming, it's just a matter of um, increasing their spend while they're with you. So the strategies we use to do that are certainly will be available in workshop mode on my website come March 2015. Excellent. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So it's a, it's a growing move. We'll go into Ross. Yeah. Well yeah. I'm, sure your, I'm sure your business is going to grow to quite a significant size because you're someone with tremendous experience. You communicate brilliantly, and you've obviously got a passion for what you do because that comes through. <laughs> uh, look, I love it. And, uh, and my franchisors that I was working with, and they couldn't believe I was selling my franchisors, but you just love it. I do love it. I absolutely do. And, and once you've got that passion for retail, you've always got it. I think. Uh, yep. But for us, it was just time. So it's time for me to go and write a book, which I did. Excellent. Oh, well, okay. Um, well, look, look, anybody who'd like to contact Elizabeth, uh, didn't get those details, contact me, and um, this information will remain available. And I can contact Elizabeth any time you like, and we'll keep uh, everyone in our organisation up to speed with developments in Elizabeth's business, where there's information that I think is of interest to people. So, Elizabeth, I, I've I've picked up a few key things here, which I've really really uh, enjoy, enjoyed. One is the fact that you know getting involved with franchisees right at the beginning, before they even launch, if possible, oh, yes. or take over. I can see the benefits of that, and obviously, you're there to better help tweak those little percentages. Because it's really the tweaking 
that makes the difference in my mind. In many cases, I mean, that doesn't overcome major issues, but that improves good businesses, and that's what you're looking for, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, so that person to run something by, you know, sometimes you're you're a work in isolation a lot being a franchisee. So to have that one person to run something by means means the world when you're tearing your hair out. Well, you're the third side of the triangle because somebody in their own business has no one. Someone in a franchise has got a franchise or, and then someone using your sort of services, you've got the triangle. So there's a suite there to be able to give the support. I like that. So, um, Absolutely. I, I love the in-store booklet with your, your dashboard. Um, Thank you. And, and I think, you know, the, the benefit that I see that I would promote to everyone um, in what you do is the benefit of having, I suppose, in inverted commas, is a third-party independent source for the franchisee to communicate with. So whilst you're not entirely independent, obviously, the fact is you've got that relationship where they're perhaps prepared to share things they wouldn't normally with the franchisor directly. Yeah. So uh, with all that... Between two parties, really. Yeah, and I can see why you love it, because, you know, you get some results, that gives you a buzz. So, yeah. Oh, I do. I, nothing, I get, nothing makes me more excited than when someone rings me and says, Guess what my label was last week. <laughs> Brilliant. Look, and that's where I'll sign off because I need to wrap Thanks. this up now. So I'd like to say, um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed talking Been to pleasure. you. Um, and I'll just leave you to, to sign off to the listeners. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, if ever you see me about, come and talk to me about franchising. Great. I love that. Keynote end. Bye.